Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Silence. That's better. Hey everybody, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to week 197 and video episode number 23 of 4T, the Thursday throwback track. Every week I take a release from my collection, I discuss it, I give you my take on it, I throw in whatever else comes to mind, and I talk about how it has influenced my music. This week, everything has gone to hell. It's a complete explosion. Something happened. And let me explain. Let me backtrack a little. I've been doing this uh, for over... 200 weeks. There have been breaks in between, etc., etc. That's why we're at 197. And that's over four years. And when I started, I had, here's the plan I had. None. I had no plan. I thought, oh, let me just pick something out of my collection. I started with cassettes, and I will talk about it, and then I'll go on to the next one, next one, next one, next one. Things started to congeal a little bit, you know, and I got into a rhythm. So for the first, like, 175 uh, you know, episodes or whatever, uh, everything was kind of cool. And then I started these videos and I figured, oh, okay, I'll just do the writing and I'll talk and then whatever and different things might come out. That's cool. It all works out. But what I didn't think of was, was this, I would pick a, 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 an album out of my collection from a band that I have multiple albums of, but I would use that particular album to talk about the band as a whole completely. Which means I would just like 100% blow my wad on what I could possibly say about a, about this band in a 10 or 15 minute slot, and uh, I realized that a little too late, and I corrected it for bands like uh, Dead Milkmen, Violent Femmes, Chicago. I did all of their albums together that I own, and that worked out really well. But because I didn't think ahead, there were a few bands that kind of fell through the cracks in that way. And I, like I said, I talked about everything that I thought I could think of at the time. And every time I'd leaf through my collection to find a new album, I'd hit a backlog. And it was just piling and piling up. So I decided to take some of that backlog, 15 albums from three different bands, and just clean the pipes out. Just get rid of them. Rapid fire, round robin, just pop, 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 whatever I can think of for each of these albums so that I can lay all this to rest and move on to some other stuff. Because let me tell you, I've got quite a few other LPs and 12 inches left to talk about. That does not even begin to scratch the surface because after this is done, I'm going on to my CDs. And at one point, I had over a 1,000 in my collection. I don't anymore, by the way, so don't get too scared. But I think I have at least 600. So this isn't ending ending anytime soon. 
But with that in mind, I'm like, I'm not going to talk about all these albums individually week after week after week. It's crazy. This might be crazy, but that's crazier. So for this episode, I'm talking about three bands that connect for me. They are all bands from the 1980s. They're big bands you can hear. One of them is The Cure. Uh, hopefully you know this song. And uh, the other two are Prince and U2. And the albums I have are all from the 1980s because that's when I was still buying vinyl. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, by the way, the whole vinyl CD and streaming thing, cassettes. In the meantime, though, I'm going to start in alphabetical order and then chronological order for each band and give you a little nugget for each album so that we can get through these. You know, we've got other things to do. Well, maybe most of us probably don't at this point, but we like to think we do. So here's what it's, here's how it goes. I created a mix, by the way, as you can hear. This is not vinyl, I'm cheating a little bit, because there was no way I was gonna go back there and change these album after album. So I have a Spotify playlist, which I will uh, send the link to, that has all the albums here that I have that are on Spotify in that playlist. So let's get going, set your timers. I don't know why, because I'm not timing this, but just do it, because why not? First album, The Cure, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. I forget what year it came out, in the 80s, right? Everything The Cure does has a romanticism to it. They, and they, they have a lushness. They have, a, and, and in the lyrics, the lyrically, very romantic. There's, the, you know, uh, like the poets of old, you know. And uh, this album here was really the culmination of that romanticism, I think, to me, because they were able to, in both writing and production, balance that kind of fairy, twee, ethereal beauty and ambience with the kind of thicker, soupier, jagged goth, uh, you know, uh, hard-edged goth. Um, they did a lot of all of that in all of their other albums in various ways, but really this was kind of the peak uh, of that. Uh, next Cure album, the only other Cure album I have, Standing on a Beach, the singles. I think I might have had this on cassette as well. I don't know. And I've certainly listened to it on CD. I may even have it on CD. But this album... It was all of their singles and hits from prior to this album. And I think for that reason, it's the perfect place to start. Because you get caught up in the stuff like uh, Friday I'm in Love and everything from Disintegration and all that. And I totally understand that. But if you really want to know the cure and you don't want to spend as much time as I do listening to things, pick up Standing on a Beach. That's the best place to start. But if you can, find... Uh, a copy that still has this song on it right here, Killing an Arab, because uh, in later copies, they took it out because there was an issue with uh, censorship and blah, 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 and all that shit that I hate, because as always, it was, like many things, misunderstood as being racist, when it was actually uh, Robert Smith's take on alienation and existentialism as written by Albert, Albert Camus in his, in his uh, novel, The Stranger. That's what it was about which essentially, and in his own way, and in other ways, was against the idea of just randomly killing somebody because of their race. Not to mention, it's a fucking good song, and I fucking hate racism, so fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm gonna add that in there so you understand that censorship is bullshit. Uh, standing on the beach. Next band. Those are the only two Cure bands. Prince, Purple Rain. All right. So when you live and breathe music like I do, and then you find an album or artist that you then end up also living and breathing, it's kind of hard to make a list or talk about all of the 
many, many thoughts and feelings that you have on, on that particular thing. And that Purple Rain, of course, is that, is one of those for me, as it is for many people. So I'm just going to throw two things out there. First of all, uh, Delirious was the song that opened the door for me for Prince, but it was when Doves Cry that sealed the deal. And that was what made me get this album that and a cousin of mine who said you're not in the prince what's wrong with you you know and you know i was pissed at the time but she was right uh second prince's attention to detail is not just as a writer which is the craft that's where it starts it's the most important thing but as a performer of course but as a producer what he puts on wax or digital or whatever uh, continues on through his artwork, through all of the various things. Like, he was somebody who started using truncated text way before texting was a real thing. You know, the, the U for Y-O-U or the number two for words like T-O-O or T-O. And this is one of the albums, because it was the first Prince album I bought, where I started to notice how much detail he paid attention to. And it's something I've always carried with me in everything that I've done. Um, this... That's not Prince. Who's that? Oh, that's Melissa Morgan. Who's Melissa Morgan? She took one of Prince's early singles, Do Me Baby, and recorded it herself, with permission, of course, and had a huge hit on it, a bigger hit than Prince had with this song. And, and I remember this song, and I remember not even knowing it was a Prince song at the time until, of course, I found out, which is the only reason I bought this 12-inch. And, I mean, it's a good song, and I like the song. Other side looks pretty much the same, doesn't it? Um, and this is just an illustration of how generous Prince was with, with his work. When he, when he saw talent that he wanted to help uh, get somewhere, he would, he would uh, give away songs. I mean, you know Sinead O'Connor and all that thing. If you don't, then I don't know who I'm talking to, frankly. Uh, around the world in the day, all right? Psychedelic. I love that Prince was able to get psychedelic. I love that Prince never stuck to one genre. And this is one of the perfect albums to illustrate that. All the different genres on this album and the kind of psychedelic nature of it. Uh, the artwork included, of course. Um, I, I loved the production on this album. Maybe even a teeny bit more than I liked the production of Purple Rain. I just liked where he was going with this album. With, with the next album, Parade, which for some reason I do not have on vinyl whatever i'm gonna talk about that like i said um and beyond the hit singles in this album listen to the title track around the world in the day just awesome and the song tambourine which is just fun um sign of the times double right uh again so many things that i can say and other people can say about this i'm not gonna say any of those what i am gonna say is this uh, I don't have Parade on vinyl, even though that has become one of my favorite albums of his. I've done some songs off of it, actually, in my live Facebook Live gigs, um, and I don't care. I half don't care that I have any of this on vinyl, you know? I love, I love Parade. Like I said, I love Sign of the Times. There's some amazing stuff on here. But here's what I don't care about. Format. I don't care about format. All you, all you musicophiles or, you know, whatever, listen to me carefully. The only important thing in music is music. That's the only important thing, okay? I get that there's a slightly different sound with vinyl, with CDs, with digital streaming, on the various tiers of digital streaming, MP3s, Waves, and all the different, uh, you know, qualities of those, with cassettes, with 8-tracks. I get that. 
I don't care about any of it. I do not romanticize the past. I don't think that music was better on vinyl. It was different. It had a quality to it. Yes, and analog does have different qualities to it than digital does. But we are in a world right now where we can listen to almost any single song that we can think of at the highest quality that we, that we could possibly find or close to that at our fingertips in the snap of a finger. That is a, that is a music utopia that I love living in. I, I don't need to go back in time. Uh, and so, I, you know, that's my spiel on you know, if you're, if you, if you want to talk about vinyl, go, go talk to somebody who's from the show High Fidelity, but in real life and you know, enjoy talking about what sounds better. While you're doing that, I'll be listening to the music, uh, which is, again, really the only important thing in this discussion. So please stop. Stop. Okay, thank you. Uh, Final Prince album, Love Sexy. I talked about this before, but I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not talk about the album. I'm going to use this as a jumping off point. Back in the, in the 80s, I developed this really faulty theory that every band that was big and had been around a while went through the same phases that the Beatles did. So for example, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me was The Cure's white album because it was big and eclectic. And then Disintegration was their Abbey Road because it was tight and a little a little darker and just fucking awesome. Uh, or U2, which I'll get to soon, their Rattle and Hum was their white album, let's say, and Octung Baby was their Abbey Road. Again, it's a pretty faulty theory, but I had this idea that there were the phases that the different albums went through for Prince, my theory was that Purple Rain was like help because it was, you know, movie. And then the next two albums, Around the World in the Day and Parade, were like Rubber Soul and Revolver because they were experimental and they got into psychedelic things. And then Sign of the Times was his Sgt. Pepper's mix with Abbey Road. How do I, right? Again, not a great theory. And that Love Sexy was his Let It Be because it was his last, you know, last official album to me from the classic period, not quite as banging as Sign of the Times, but still pretty fucking awesome in its own right. Uh, and after that, he kind of went into Beatles solo career mode, had an amazing, amazing gems throughout, did amazing work consistently through his whole career, but very rarely did he ever quite capture the magic of his stuff from the 80s. And I'm whispering this because I know it's controversial. And I'm not saying it because I dislike any of it. Again, top five. He's probably one in top two or three, let me say. So I'm just kind of trying to be a little bit honest about this. You too. Boy. Boy, oh boy. This is the one I talked about. In many ways, my favorite incarnation of U2 was side one of this album, okay? And uh, a large reason why I got into the band Block Party in 2004, because they um, very lovingly ripped a lot of that sound from post-punk bands like U2, and they were post-punk. Um, October. Uh, people need to talk more about this album. Uh, kind of falls through the cracks sometimes. It's a beautiful album. It has beauty, a, a real sonic beauty to it. If you don't know Gloria, Tomorrow, or October, those three songs, if you don't recognize how beautiful the latter two of those songs are, this the oh, incredible, how they mix the electronic with the organic, then uh, I don't think you're an actual U2 fan and you may not even be a real music fan. Well, yeah. If you're if you're a U2 fan, I'll say that. War, their last album that really fully embraced that post-punk spirit, and of course they're probably most banging in that regard. And um, 
also managed to be a kick-ass dance rock album. We spun the main hits off of that album at our DJ sets in the 80s, right along with uh, Boom, 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 Let's Go Back to My Room. You know, we, I mean, they just fit in perfectly. Excellent album. Uh, Under a Blood Red Sky. I bought this because I thought I might get into uh, live albums, I guess, and I was a completist and I wanted everything that you two released. I'm not really into live albums. Uh, the Unforgettable Fire. I'd say this is still my favorite U2 album, and I think I've said this before. Uh, it was the one that introduced me to them. This is when I got into them, and so that's probably why it's my favorite. But it's, again, a beautiful, beautiful album. There are sonic qualities that they kind of said, ah, fuck it, to in later work. Maybe came back even later, later, later. But through their middle period, they went in a different direction. Some interesting ones, too. But that whole period... Uh, you know, October and this and some things in between. This, that sonic richness is just something I really get off on and I do a lot in my own work. And the song Bad is worth the price of the album just alone, okay? Wide Awake in America. Uh, again, completist. I bought it because, oh my God, and it wasn't even supposed to be available in the U.S. It wasn't until it was. I don't have much else to say about that. The Joshua Tree, you know what? When this album came out, I was actually initially disappointed simply because I loved Unforgettable Fire so much and it went in a slightly different direction and, and I was like, oh man. But then I saw them live. One of my first, probably the first big concert I ever saw, like big arena concert, on this tour. And it was a spiritual experience. And uh, from that point on, I was hooked and never let go. And that includes the album Joshua Tree, which of course grew on me quite quickly after my initial disappointment. Rattle and Hum, double album. Uh, again, I was in that period where I was seeing them on every tour. I couldn't get enough of this album. I know it's kind of considered a mixed bag. Um, wait, is this one? No, no, no. This is from one of the earlier ones. Uh, it was exploratory. It was big like them. And it was full of Americana, some of which was successful, some a little bit maybe less successful. But honestly, any album that ends with the song All I Want Is You, which I performed in one of my Facebook Live gigs, is worth wading through all of the other stuff there. Uh, and funny enough, I never saw the movie. I should probably go watch this movie. That would be cool. So guess what? That was 15 albums. I've done this entire podcast in under 20 minutes. I was able to get through 15 albums and clean some of the crap back there so I can get to some other interesting stuff. Did it feel as cleansing to you as it did to me? Uh, write it in the comments below. I want to hear from you, as always. Do you, do you like any of these bands? Are you into any of them? Do you feel like their 80s period or 90s or O's period or whatever was better? Do you, do you love the fact that U2 and The Cure are still out there pumping out music and that, and that Prince is not actually dead in my mind, so he's like still out there doing music too, okay? Because he would be if he were around. You damn well know that. Uh, do you have different top th top three bands, top five bands? I want to know about that. Do you get as obsessed with music as I do? Do you have some other obsession you want to talk about that you could talk about? Uh, I don't know. Discuss why. Because other than music being the important thing here, the other important things are conversation and connection. Thank you for going on this insane journey with me. I appreciate your time, and I will see you again next week. Oh, electrical.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.